This is the Joyful Mama Show. We want to help you take actionable steps toward dreams that have more impact, family life that has more peace, and motherhood that has more joy. We think that it's time for moms to rise up in entrepreneurship and change the world. But let's face it, it's hard to sort through all of the ways we get stuck in our own heads and all of the things we feel like we're supposed to be doing. How can we change the world when we're overwhelmed with trying not to feel overwhelmed about homeschooling or power struggles with our kids or taking care of our own hearts, our bodies, and our minds? We want to give you the tools to find rest, joy, and healing while also taking your business and your dreams to the next level. You know you were made for more than hustle. You can feel that you were made for more than the lies that hold you back. And we believe that you were made for amazing things that impact the kingdom of God and the people that God has given you to impact for Him. You were made to be a joyful mama, to have a heart that is thriving, not striving. And we want to help you step into the fullness of all you were created to become. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Joyful Mama Show. We are so excited to introduce you today to one of our really close friends. Robin is someone who has made a huge impact on both of our lives in different ways. I've known Robin for, I think, close to 20 years. So we're going to share our stories of how we met and all of that in a minute. But what Robin is most known for is she is a health coach and she is also just got a totally different spin and view. We're really excited to share her story with you. We're excited for her to just kind of share what sets her apart, why Sarah and I both have individually chosen to work with Robin and why we are just so grateful to call her a friend. Yeah, we're so excited. Robin Wright is a wellness coach on a mission to see busy mamas step into immense amounts of freedom and their holistic health by breaking free from the shame-filled extremes of disordered eating and diet culture. Robin helps them bring healing and integration to their spiritual, emotional, and physical health so they can live more fully alive from a deep place of connection with themselves, God, and the people they love the most. So welcome, Robin, to the Joyful Mama Show. I'm so excited to be here with two of my favorite people. Aww, we love you so much. <laughs> well, and I have to say, you two have had such a huge impact on my life and my family. So it's it's really sweet to be here with you guys. Yeah. Do you want to share, Liz, how, and Robin, how you guys first met? Because I met Robin because you guys had met each other already. So how did you guys meet? Well, I'll share what I remember of us first meeting, and maybe you remember something different. But my first memory of you, Robin, was at back, you know, in Bloomington, had to have been 2010. Yeah, that was during my single mom years. And I remember you were already connected with two of my closest friends, and you were getting really close with Andrew and Kelly. And I remember seeing you just thinking, who is that beautiful girl? And I just remember Kelly saying, you have to hear her story of how she's come to the Lord. You're going to love her testimony. And at that time, I was really just kind of contending for the life of my brother who had been in and out of addiction and just all kinds of like hard life things. And I remember hearing your testimony and just what you had walked through. Um, not It had nothing to do with addiction, but just the story of someone overcoming hard things gave me great hope for him. And then just seeing how 
quickly you grew in your faith and how hungry you were for discipleship. Like I had never in my life seen someone so hungry for truth and for discipleship. Like if the church doors were open, Robin was there. If there was a prayer meeting, Robin was there. She was the first one in, she was the last one to leave. You've paid a great price to become who you are today. And I think that you've always walked in this authority and like the health and wellness space. And you've always had this passion for health. But what is so much deeper than that is how you've been able to tie the spiritual to the physical, you know, and the emotional and mental and all those things. But anyway, so we met way back then at church, started hanging out at prayer meetings. Literally, we would see each other. Um, I'd be dragging my <laughs> two and five-year-old to a midnight prayer meeting and and we were burning the midnight oil just seeking Jesus together mm-hmm. and that's how we met. Yeah, that's wow. It's so fun to to think back on those times. It seems so long ago and yet it really wasn't. You were you were getting to see me in the very beginning stages of coming to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And really those beginning stages of him, you know, you mentioned this bringing the spiritual and the natural together, right? That that was the year that God supernaturally delivered me from bulimia. And so that was, you saw this transition from being totally a victim of diet culture and God stepping in and radically delivering me from just really deep strongholds. But yeah, what what a fun season of life. You were such a breath of fresh air to me in a in a time where I had never had sisters, I had never had girlfriends and God just brought me exactly what I needed in that season to of of connection. So, it's mm. it's fun to reflect back on that. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And then I met you, Robin, in 2020 during the pandemic. But we had, you know, you had been in the same mentorship that we were in, business mentorship, but I hadn't met you then. And then I hired you as my personal coach in 2020 because I had also had an eating disorder um, about a decade before. And I could just still feel that like there was parts of me that weren't completely free yet. And you were always talking about freedom with food and like food has no morality and like, you know, you need to be free to choose what you want to eat and choose not to eat. And like, none of it was making any sense to me. (laughs) And I was like, Robin has a piece of freedom that I have not attained yet. Mm -hmm. And so I hired you for a year. You're my coach for no, six months, but like, was it longer? You know, I don't really know, Sarah. It was somewhere between six months and a year in 2020. And I use, I was like, okay, I'm going to use the pandemic to get, because I always want more freedom. And I was like, I want all the freedom I can get. I know Robin has something I haven't tasted fully yet. And that was three years ago. And my life has been drastically different since then. So I have like, I have coached you, you have coached me, but we have different specialties. And I have learned so much from you and brought that into my own coaching practice. And it's just been such a cool connection of like knowing other people who have freedom that you want and that are willing to give it to you and help you and help you grow. Yeah. I'm just so grateful for you. We wanted to hear a little bit about what led you into the wellness coaching and you know why why are you still doing that today? Well, you kind of got to go back before we can go forward. So 
a little backstory. Um, I grew up in kind of an unhealthy home, just a lot of trauma, neglect, addiction. My mom also had an eating disorder, but I kind of found my identity in athletics. And so I've always been an athlete. I've never been what you would call, what society would call overweight. Some of my earliest memories are of not liking my body, just not liking the way that it looked thinking I was fat, always wanting to be thinner, like this obsessive pursuit towards thinness. And, and like I said, my mom had an eating disorder and I remember vividly watching her make herself vomit. And so I think those earliest experiences really marked me and really kind of imprinted on my, my character and my heart and my mind. And so then you, you couple that with the 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 athlete in me as well. So you're kind of getting this dual kind of coming at both sides of it, this emphasis on athletics and performance and, and how you look. And so it was just, like I said, my earliest memories are of remembering comments from other little girls as early as like third grade about what I ate or um, how I ate. And, and then you've got the dynamics of our home of there being neglect. So there was some scarcity from a natural standpoint of not knowing what I was going to eat. So there were so many things at play that really um, developed my relationship with food and, and the way that I looked at my body and and not growing up in a Christian home. I I didn't really have a sense of identity or worth. It was really a matter of uh, my parents would go out to the bars and I would be their trophy daughter that they kind of flaunted, you know, in the bar scene. And and it was all about how thin I was and how beautiful I was. And and then you hit puberty and now I'm, I've got these lovely perky breasts that breastfeeding sucked the life out of. <laughs> Let's be real. My body's starting to change and and look more curvy and and what the world would say is sexy. And not growing up in a home where there was the protection and the love and the identity being um, emphasized from my parents, I got really swept up in a in a hyper sexualized diet culture in those, you know, from the earliest through, you know, high school and even my post high school years. Um, but I remember restricting food as early as middle school of skipping meals and constantly weighing myself. And, and I was just reflecting before this, um, this meeting. And, and I remember even writing a paper for health class that I self, um, diagnosed myself with an eating disorder, but I remember writing, but I have it under control. Mm-hmm. And as a high school girl, and I'm thinking to myself now as the 35 year old mama, like, why didn't somebody intervene there and ask any sort of questions? But I think this topic of diet culture and this obsessive pursuit of thinness is so ingrained in generations of the American culture. And so I have yet to meet a woman who doesn't have some sort of disordered eating actions and mentalities in their life. So, you know, so there I am in high school, skipping meals, you know, trying to lose weight. And then after high school, 
I ended up full-fledged anorexic and then bulimic after I had a very traumatic loss when I was a teenager that kind of thrust me into the anorexia. I kind of swung into bulimia once I started bodybuilding. Um, and there's so many stories that I could share within there, right? You know, traumatic loss, traumatic home. So that's, you know, trauma is a huge dynamic that I see with women and their in their relationship with food. But when the Lord delivered me in 2010, that was a supernatural in a moment, instantaneous, like I was one way and suddenly I'm no longer this way. The next three years were really a, a journey of God redeeming my relationship with food, as I refer to it, and um, putting food back in its proper place and in healing my relationship with my body. And so that that was a that was a process, but in that time, I again back to 2010, the Lord supernaturally heals me. I was a personal trainer at the time and just really working in fitness, helping women women and men and athletes um, with their fitness, and really hadn't started coaching people in this realm of holistic health or or even had the language to talk about redeeming your relationship with food. I was changing and, and it was an interesting kind of spirally up and down journey of my relationship with food healing. Um, and I can talk more to that in a second, but I remember, I think it was the year I'd gotten married. All of a sudden, I think I was putting dishes away and being like, I'm not obsessed with food anymore. This is like, realization hit me. And I remember just thinking, I never would have imagined that I would be here in this place of not being obsessively thinking about food and my body and how much I didn't like my body and how much I wanted to change my body and what I could eat or how I needed to exercise to earn my food or, you know, just these constant barrage of thoughts around my body and food. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness. And that's what really, I think, thrust me on this journey of like wanting to give that to other people and knowing, wow, like I've just stepped into something. The world needs to know about this. How do you think you stepped into it? I mean, besides the kind of like night and day transformation you had, right away. How did you in those next three years kind of work it out so that you got to that point of like, oh, wow, I don't even think I care about it anymore. Like I did. Yeah. Yeah. For me, when I reflect on my journey, I think there's some really practical things that I'll touch on. And there's also some deeper spiritual things, because I think when I say God supernaturally delivered me, I mean, when I was in the in the trenches of bulimia, right? I'm having these almost blackout binges and I'm um, just consuming a ton and then purging or over-exercising or just in a really dark place. And I would fast, I'd do Daniel fasts and I would do these fasts where I would try to like manipulate the Lord into, you know, delivering me. And, um, I would have these bulimic episodes and I'd find myself crying on the bathroom floor and just like, Lord, why, why am I this way? I don't, I know that this isn't good for me. I know this isn't pleasing to you. Like, why am I stuck in this place? And 
and at the time I was living a very compromised life in my my relationship with God. I was a bodybuilder at the time and I was every now and again just getting high, getting drunk, bartending. I was a Hooters girl. I was living a very mixture life, right? Like Jesus wasn't my Lord. And the reality is I was crying out on those bathroom floors for a, a savior. And this is one of those backstories that I, I mean, guys, I could literally go into so many stories here, but I, at the time had been engaged to a man that wasn't a believer and long story short, I called the wedding off the day of our wedding. And I left that relationship, left my job as the Hooters girl, left the job as a bartender. And I, I came to this uh, crossroads really having tried everything else and was just I was literally dying on the inside and knew that Jesus was the answer. And so I call off the the wedding the day of, I, you know, leave this lifestyle. And that's when God supernaturally delivered me. And even just the emotional turmoil I was in and the bulimia, because I had not really made Jesus my Lord and Savior. He, I wanted the deliverance, but I hadn't really given him full permission to be the Lord of my life. And that's when he delivered me is when I said, I've done it all. I've tried it all. I'm I'm ready to follow you with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the the practical journey was my environment changed a lot, right? I was no longer in a toxic, abusive relationship. I wasn't wearing little orange shorts around a, a restaurant, like trying to make a bunch of money off the way that my body looked. I was no longer standing three quarters of the way naked on top on a stage of thousands of people and having judges pick apart what my body looked like. So there were some really big environment things that changed. Another big thing was that I entered into really safe, loving community and developed these friendships and connection I had never had before. And so I was just starting to receive some healing just from like being with healthy people, right? And people who loved me and it had nothing to do with the way that I looked or performed, right? Um, so I think environment's a really powerful factor in these things. And then I I really, the language I use now is I gave up the pursuit of thinness. So I, though I didn't deny the fact that I didn't really at that point love the way that my body looked, but I was recognizing through God's grace, just that I didn't know who I was. I didn't have like a firm knowledge of my identity. And so God, on that journey of learning about the Lord, I was also learning about myself. And he was, I guess, pulling back the veil on what was already there really about who I was and my value and my worth, and that it didn't have anything to do with my looks. But I I kind of took that pursuit of thinness and I and I shelved it. And I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to start eating real food. I'm going to just start eating and nourishing my body and not restricting my calories anymore because I'm not trying to get on a bodybuilding stage anymore. And I wasn't trying to impress anyone anymore. I wasn't trying to keep my boyfriend happy and think that, you know, trying to earn love through the way that I looked. Right. And so the first entry into like that redeeming relationship from a practical standpoint was the environment shift, but also just giving myself permission to eat, mm. you know, and, um, and just, and just working out to work out. Right. Just because that was something that I enjoyed to do. 
And it was no longer me trying to earn my calories or change the way that my body looked. It was like, I love working out and I know that this is good for me. So it wasn't connected anymore towards shame and change. And honestly, the part that a lot of people hate to hear is that I gained weight. (laughs) I gained weight. I actually got to my heaviest in the process of healing. And when I share that with some of my clients, they panic. This almost this dread comes over them as they're like, what? You mean (laughs) I have to gain weight before I can lose the weight? And that kind of terrifies them, which is just an indicator all the more of the inner work that needs to be done and really the identity piece of it and maybe unhealed traumas and unprocessed emotions and, and and value and worth and stuff like that. Yeah. And same, like when you coached me in 2020, I gained, I think I went like two sizes up for something. And it was so hard for me to, like, I knew this is part of the process of healing. Like it was part of the process of letting go all of that. And it, the, the hardest part is like the external of what other people think about what because they don't know that you're gaining weight because you're doing so much inner work and like you're doing so much work <laughs> and it's not showing in the way you wish it was showing externally. It is what it is. And it's really hard to embrace that. You're right. It was hard for me. And I think having you gone before me and knowing like you had gained weight, you know, as you went further on in your journey and your mindset started changing, like the weight wasn't just. I don't know. You didn't keep putting on the weight at a consistent rate. And I didn't either, you know, it was a part of the journey and it was one I had to embrace to get to the rest of the journey. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I've heard, I've heard it said that your body's the wisest person in the room. And that's going to really butt against some religious mindsets because right. Like, no, God is the wisest person in the room. The spirit is the wisest person in the room. Well they're connected. They're one, right? So Mm -hmm. if, if truly we as believers believe the scripture that says our bodies are the temple of the Holy spirit, then every cell and fiber of my being is teeming with Holy spirit. Right. And so, you know, I say that to say, this is that our bodies are really wise and they know what they're doing. And so when we are nourishing our bodies and we see them and I'm speaking to this, this process, right? I'm not making a, um, a law out of what I'm about to say, but on this process, like I had lived so much life and I know Sarah, we've talked, you know, in depth around, around your journey too. I'd lived so much life hating my body and punishing my body and shaming it and cursing it and treating it horribly. And it needed that time for me to just like, let it like rebound a little bit, like let it breathe and receive and like enjoy eating. Right. It was eventually, yeah, I I gained a little bit of weight and then without me having to do anything, you know, like do anything restrictive or, you know, like follow anybody's rules or laws or go on a diet or change the way that I was working out, like because of some external factor, my body then just lost the weight. 
And I didn't even realize that it lost the weight until people started to say things to me of like, oh, I've noticed you've lost weight, which can I just say this publicly? And you can't edit this out from our podcast. Stop only noticing your friends' bodies and beauty when they are shrinking for Mm, goodness sakes. And I get it because I notice when people lose weights, like I, I notice people's bodies and I notice when they gain weight and I've had to repent and deal with the, the Lord's had to deal with my heart in some areas of like being hyper-focused on the external appearance of people. And I've had to consciously not say things to people when I see that they're losing weight. But if you turn your listening ear on, you will be blown away at how often women are elevating and only affirming when a body's shrinking, right? Yeah. And and in that time, again, from a practical standpoint, because I know you asked about some of that, Sarah, is that I, I was introduced to precision nutrition, who I am certified through. And the and what grabbed me with that certification, as opposed to lots of different ones I could have done, is that I saw freedom in it. And it was very much, it was about intuitive eating and kind of coming back into your body and learning what your hunger cues were. As I was just being introduced to them, I was like, oh my goodness, this is so good. That's kind of what God was doing with me already. And it seemed like it just aligned so well with the journey that I was already on with Holy Spirit and my body that I was like, I want to get certified. I want to grow in education as well, right? So I have my experience, but I also wanted to get more education and knowledge and understanding on how to then serve people with this information. And as I did that certification and implemented some of the things that I was learning, it was just continued freedom and continued revelation and continued growth and skills of how to use those in my own life and also encourage people to think about these things differently. Mm -hmm. So you talk about the extremes of disordered eating and diet culture. But it made me start thinking about Christian culture and the church and how it seems a lot of the time like our body's um, health in general is either completely ignored on one extreme or almost like over glorified, like, oh, you're doing really well spiritually. You're going to impact the kingdom. If you, you know, going back to that verse, if you're taking care of your temple, And, you know, I personally used to have a tank top that said my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and kind of this like elite mindset of, and that's why I work out because I'm really valuing my body. unlike all the rest of you (laughs) and I'm like really taking care of it. It wasn't like a morality thing. It was like a spiritual eliteness thing. So it seems to me like a lot of times it's either ignored in the church culture or over glorified. And so how have you seen it like come out in, in Christian, I would call it even Christian diet culture? Yeah, that's such a great point. Um, and I'm glad we're going to talk about this because at first when I started coaching people and even I'm sad to say that I was probably a part of that Christian elite culture and my early kind of my pendulum swung and that often happens right before we kind of regulate early on in my walk, it was very much like just eat whole food. 
God created the body and God created these things. And so we should only put these God created things into our bodies. And, and so my, my pendulum really swung and, and honestly, like during that time of eating all natural food and, you know, like doing, eating what you sometimes I hear people literally call it God's food. And I get what they're trying to say yet there's so much shame undertones with that language because it instantly communicates a message to the heart and the mind of when you're not eating this way, you're not eating God's food. Again, I'm, I'm sad to say that I was kind of a part of that Christian elite, like food body is the temple kind of shaming stuff and have, have since come to more of a, a balanced and and I and I don't even love to hear the balanced approach, just a place of freedom, honestly. And yes, our bodies are the temple of Holy Spirit. And yes, there are consequences to the choices that we make. And I don't always mean negative consequences, right? Like we know that when we eat diets that are highly processed and and don't have a lot of nourishment in them, then we're not gonna feel awesome. But the problem I have with what I love your coined phrase of Christian diet culture is that anything birthed out of shame will not transform. Only love transforms. And so I see and hear a lot of shame language come from both camps, right? The the diet culture of the world and also the diet culture of the church you know, scripture says like, whether you eat or drink to do all things from the glory of the God, I'm going to pause here. I'm going to pull up some scriptures that I want to drop here. Cause these are really important in combating that Christian diet culture. So I want to share these scriptures because yeah, I made this post on Instagram, you know, a couple months ago, because again, there's this fire lit inside of me about when I'm seeing well-meaning brothers and sisters in the Lord who they do have a heart for health and they are wanting to help people get healthier. And I love that. And I think that what I see in a lot of them is that they maybe haven't had some of the same struggles that I have, or maybe you have, or aren't as aware and in tune to the language that they're using and what that communicates to somebody who had an unruly, an unhealthy relationship with food, who really Mm -hmm. lived back and forth between like, the law of like only eat these restrictive foods and diets or license of like, I'm going to just binge on everything and anything because I'm so exhausted of restricted. Which let's face it, that's most moms that you encounter. Like most moms have lived between restriction and just eating whatever they want. That's not like just people who've been bulimic or just people who've been anorexic. That's like most women. So most of us, when we hear that messaging, are taking it and hearing something that does not promote freedom, but promotes shame. So keep going. Yeah. And honestly, like there's a difference between disordered eating and eating disorder, right? Like what you and I had was full blown an eating disorder. I mean, I was binging and purging or massively restricting. I mean, like not eating anything for a whole day kind of thing. But like I said earlier, I've not met I've probably not met a single person who doesn't have disordered eating. And what I mean by disordered eating before I hop into these scriptures 
is like that obsessive thoughts about their body, like looking in the mirror and not liking what they've seen. And so then out of that place of disgust towards their body or not like of the way they look, they change what they would eat, how much they would eat because they want to change the way that they look from a negative standpoint. And they connect those things with their identity more than like, oh, I have some body fat that I'd like to lose. It's no, I'm fat, I'm ugly, I'm repulsive. And so therefore I don't deserve to eat and I'm going to eat a salad or vegetables, or I'm going to skip, I'm going to skip breakfast this morning because I stepped on the scale naked after taking a poop and didn't like the number that I read. Can I say poop on this podcast? It's mom's. Of course, and, everybody poops, Robin. And every and I'm I guarantee every one of the listeners, ladies, let's be honest, you take your clothes off, you go pee, you go poop, and you then you weigh yourself. You would not dare step on that scale with your clothes on, having not emptied your bowels in your bladder, right? That's diet, that's disordered eating, right? That's this mindset of diet culture that's so ingrained that has changed what we see when we look in the mirror because of what the number on the scale says and whether we choose whether to give ourselves nourishment because how we think we look in our clothes, right? So this disordered eating patterns are, like I said, deeply ingrained in our culture and in our subconscious mind. Okay. So guys, hear these scriptures. We know that what you eat will not bring you closer to God. You are no better if you don't eat certain foods and no better if you do. So Romans 14, 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of rules about food and drink, but is in the realm of the Holy Spirit filled with righteousness, peace, and joy. And lastly, so don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. That's Colossians 2.16. So that, so don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink. It means you too, right? Because we have this voice because people label these foods as good or bad or God's food. And that lodges itself in our standard. Now we eat the chocolate and we condemn ourselves because we ate some dessert. And then we spiral in shame and punishment and control. And we think we need to go run, even though we hate running and it hurts us. Or, you know, we go on a fast and we try to hyper-spiritualize it, right? And we say, oh, I'm just going to do this juice cleanse fast that Holy Spirit did not ask you to do. So let's be honest. That's what I see in the the Christian diet culture. And I so get it because I was there for so long. It's it's really destructive. So how do you get in this place where you're not not thinking about what you're eating, but it's also not something that you're obsessed with? Like, what's that? That was what was so hard for me. I'm like, how do I have mm-hmm. freedom as in... I guess I can eat anything, right? But I'm not supposed to overeat and I'm not supposed to undereat, but I'm also not supposed to restrict. It was all very confusing for me. So like for the mom who's listening to this, who's like, okay, I want to take a step toward freedom in this area. And like you said, redeeming and healing my relationship with food. 
Like, what do you think is like a step in that direction? That's a great question. And I totally get that struggle. I think what was so freeing for me was once I took that pursuit of thinness, kind of, I put it on the back shelf. It's not denying the fact that I wanted to lose weight or wanted to change my body because that's like cognitive dissonance, right? You don't have to like try to convince yourself that you don't like the way that your body looks or that you do want to lose weight or that you may need to make some changes to your nourishment because you are malnourished and you can't thrive if you don't feel great. It's not denying that that's a desire or that's there, but I think what what really transformed my relationship with food was this concept of intuitive eating. God desires for us to be the freest people on the earth. And I started to listen to what my body was saying it needed. And because I have an intimate relationship with Holy Spirit, there were some like, Lord, what should I eat today? What should I focus on today? Right? Like it was this intimate relationship of me and Jesus and not to over-spiritualize it, but there's so much information out there of what you should and shouldn't do. And it's oftentimes some of it's really good, but it's like not what I need right now. Because when you're talking to people who've lived under the bondage of disordered eating and eating disorders, even the thought of changing something within like changing what or how much they were to eat, if that came from an external voice, it was triggering to them because they lived underneath that bondage for so long of like, please don't make me follow more rules, right? And so for me, it was going on this journey of listening to me and eating slowly and this is one of the principles I learned in precision nutrition was when I slowed down and wasn't scarfing my food as fast as I could because I had to eat as much as I could because when that meal was over, I couldn't have any more food, right? Living in that scarcity mindset of I only get to eat in this moment. And then, you know, um, so when I slowed down and I started to be present with myself and with Holy Spirit and with my physical body, and could feel what fullness felt like, and I could feel what satisfaction felt like, and what over fullness felt like. There started to be these connections made of, man, I don't really like the way that I feel when I eat fast, or I don't like the way that I feel when I eat beyond fullness. It started to create space for me to really get in touch with my body. And that's the the best place to be. And when you were coaching me, and that was literally, I think the first month, like all we did was practice eating slowly. And it was like, for me, because I know that the kingdom's usually upside down and things work opposite of what you think they're going to work. Every other program that I had ever heard of that had to do with wellness or eating or whatever was always about your, your eating plan. That's like the first thing you tackle is like, what are you eating? Let's change it. And this was like, we're not changing anything. We're just going to eat slower. You know, so backwards feeling that I was like, this must be true. (laughs) Like, this is surely the back door to freedom right here. Like that this is so upside down and from what I've heard everywhere else. And I remember even further on in my journey, I really felt from the Lord, like I needed to uh, practice eating 
sugar slowly. And you were like, okay, go for it. Like, and I, for probably a month, maybe a month and a half, I would go to the store and like, I practice with different things. I'm like, oh, okay. That kind of chocolate. No, I eat that so fast. I can't even practice with it. I remember baking brownies and like undercooking them. So I could take just like the tiniest morsel and put it in my mouth and just like savor it because I had been so used to just like, raw, like, what can I get in my mouth? What can I satiate this internal hunger with like this? I'm filling this void, you know, with sugar. And the slowing down for me has been so powerful. And it's something, I mean, I'm a fast eater by nature. And as a mom, you just don't naturally have tons of time to be eating yourself. You're always preparing something else for someone else. And so it was such a change in my personal food culture of like, what? Slow down? I can't even like, I mean, I never slow down. I'm always going at top speed to eat. (laughs) Yeah, that is so good. And honestly, like so much awareness comes from slowing down. And right, Mm -hmm. like you had said, so often somebody gives us a meal plan and they say, eat this, don't eat that. Move this way, don't move that way. And I view that as just like, you're literally robbing people of their power when you do that. And Mm -hmm. we're giving somebody else our power when we abide by those things. I mean, it just sucks the like life out of us. Like I'm here to empower you to discover what your internal cues feel like because Holy Spirit lives. I'm not your Holy Spirit, right? So I would be doing you a disservice by telling you what to eat and when to eat it. Because the reality is guys, we all know what we should and shouldn't eat, right? Like no matter what diet you're looking at, they all have this in common. We thrive on whole food. You don't need somebody to write that down on a piece of paper and try to force it down your throat. But slowing down and getting curious around why you eat what you eat with who you eat, when you eat it, and how much you're eating it is really interesting. I started to see that I was actually trying to regulate my central nervous system often with food, right? Like the reality is sugar is great at regulating the central nervous system. It's just not very productive, (laughs) right? So it like, it does, it regulates the central nervous system. I feel awesome after eating sugar and drinking and eating it with my coffee, right? But when that's the only way you know how to regulate your central nervous system, then we see that it becomes an addiction or it's it's misplaced, right? So instead of the food being a good gift from a good father who loves for us to enjoy things and created our taste buds and created our bodies to respond to even sugar that way, when that's the only way that we're using it, again, it gets perverted and a habit gets created and, and stuff like that. But so when we slow down, And we start to take our power back from food and put food in its proper place as a good gift. All things are lawful for me, not all things edify. So too much of that, right, can can play with things. But we're not talking in extremes here. We're talking in freedom. So when I'm in a powerful position of self-control, I'm slowing down, I'm I'm getting curious. I'm present with my body. I'm present with Holy Spirit. I'm present with the people sitting across from the table from me. Food no longer is that thing that I'm using to regulate my central nervous system. It's like, oh, wow, my stomach is telling me that it actually is full now. 
I would actually be dishonoring my body by continuing to eat this when my body is telling me that it feels really good now, it's nourished, it's full, like let's push our plate away. And so all of this is coming from a place of empowerment and honor towards our bodies. And then even in those moments, especially when you're in this discovery phase of like, what the heck is Robin even talking about with all this stuff, right? Is the times when maybe I overate, there's grace for that, right? Like when our kids are learning things, and they do it wrong, we don't say like, you idiot, you ruined it. You're a failure. You're never going to like, and if you do, then stay listening to this podcast because you're in the right place. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Because I think those are conversations Sarah and Elizabeth probably had to have with me early on in my parenting, but it's like, it's okay. Like get curious with compassion towards yourself of like, why did you choose to push past those internal cues? That's okay. You got another chance the next time you eat, right? There's so much grace. And it's, there's not that, because we've taken that pursuit of thinness off the table and there's not so much like, oh, like that's the, that's the only thing. I, I love this quote. I have to share this with you guys in this concept of like shrinking and getting thinness, but I love it. It says, when my sole focus was shrinking my body, my life also shrunk. And when we're constantly saying, no, I am, I'm trying to get smaller and shrinking. We're robbing our lives of some of those sweet times that can happen around food. And sometimes I say no, because food's not my master, right? Like when I go out to ice cream with my kids and I'm like, I don't really want ice cream. Like, again, I'd be dishonoring my body and myself, my autonomy. Like I'd be dishonoring myself if I ate this ice cream when I really don't want it. So like I can have just as much fun sitting here and watching them totally love their ice cream and not have it. I think too, like when you know that you can have ice cream whenever you want, like you don't have to have it at this one moment. It's not the scarcity mindset of, oh, I got to get it because I don't know when the next time I'm going to be able to get it. Like you feel free to make decisions like that because you're not living in restriction all the time. So it's not like, it's just a different way of thinking. 100%. Um, Precision Nutrition talks a lot about what's the most addictive food, the one you restrict the most. So again, because we were meant to be free, the moment we enter in that restrictive mindset of, I can't have this. I shouldn't have this. It's like, that's what we focus on. And that's what we give our power and our attention to. But it's like, no, I'm free to eat and I'm free not to eat because food's not my master. It's a good gift. So good. You know what I think is interesting too, is we put restriction on ourselves, like don't have too much. But what I know was ingrained in me from my childhood, probably similar for you guys. And what I started out doing to my own kids was forcing them to finish everything. (laughs) So it was like, you're not getting up from the table until your plate's clean kind of stuff. So when you say like generationally, these mindsets have been ingrained, it's like a lot of it depends on heritage and how old our parents are. Like my husband, his mom, she's like in her late 80s. So it was like, and she's German you cannot leave the table until your whole plate. And and if you hate it and you're gagging too bad, 
you're finishing the whole plate. And so it's interesting as parents, and we're learning to walk in freedom as in like more slowly, stop when I'm satisfied. And then we're having to learn how to even steward that with our kids when they're done and when they feel satisfied they can actually be done before their plates clean too. And we had some difference in opinion on that when it was first addressed at our house because there's this underlying, and I think it's a cultural thing, but sometimes there's like a honor or respect associated with who prepared this meal for you. You're dishonoring them if you don't eat everything that's on your plate. So how? what would you say to moms who are even trying to like step into the freedom themselves and then maybe even create some new family dynamics with their kids, with their husbands who maybe are not totally on board yet, with how to help their their children and their entire family steward freedom in the same way. Because it is, it's like new ground for us and everyone else we live with, at least in my experience. First and foremost, I want to mention this. When you start noticing your daughters talk about their bodies and talk about their food and struggle with some of the things that you struggled, the first thing I think you should do is go into your prayer closet and ask the Lord, how did I, how did I potentially partner with some of this because of the way that she heard me talking about my body and the way she saw me looking at my body in the mirror? Just like everything else, our kids are modeling and mimicking what we're doing. So when I start to change the language I'm t- I'm using as I talk about food or my body, it changes something in them as well. So Mm -hmm. when we're talking about food freedom and nourishment and honoring our bodies, like my son came to me the other day and he's like, man, my tummy is telling me that it just doesn't really like, this doesn't taste good and I shouldn't eat anymore. Then I have a responsibility to, okay, bud, good job listening to your stomach. That's awesome that you felt that and you noticed that. Like you're free to be done. Go ahead and take care of your plate, right? So it starts with just like the simple getting rid of those stupid rules that came from scarcity mindset and poverty, right? Of recognizing that that's poverty and scarcity, right? We also, because we're slowing down to sit and eat at the table together and have a conversation, It's dragging on the time. Like if I see my kids eating super, super fast, I'll be like, hey, bud, let's make sure you chew and swallow your food before you take another bite because A, you could choke, but B, also I'm educating them from a standpoint of, did you know that it takes your brain like 20 minutes to recognize that you feel full? I was like, do you ever feel like your tummy hurts after you've eaten like for a while, my son loves pizza and he would eat pizza so fast and he'd feel sick every time when he'd get done because he'd eat so much in such a short period of time. And so it was there was windows of opportunity to talk about that in a way that wasn't shaming. And I was making the mm-hmm. connection of like, man, did you notice that every time you eat pizza that you tell me that your tummy hurts? Like, what are you going to do about that? You know what I would do? I would like try to slow down and because I love pizza so much, I'm going to try to taste it like every bite. I'm going to chew it so I can savor every bite of this pizza. And when my tummy tells me that it's had enough, I'm going to, I'm going to be done. Right. So as I'm learning, I'm using these same things with them. So again, like we have a value for nourishment, right? Like I know that my body's going to heal and thrive. It's 
and feel its best when I'm eating protein at every meal, when I'm getting vegetables, when I'm eating carbohydrates, when I'm having healthy fats, right? And everybody's going to be different on how they are affected by those nutrients or whatever. But I'm not saying like, when you eat this, then you can have that. It's like, if you're still hungry after you've eaten this, we can talk about that. Like we all just came off of sickness. And I was like, you know, guys, we're probably going to, we're going to keep sugar at a low right now while our bodies are healing because we know science shows that too much sugar when your immune system is compromised can delay healing. We delay healing. We don't get to go do some of the fun things that we really love to do. So it's not about weight. It's not about like, and even being a purist, you know, of, with our food, it's like, how can we honor and cherish our bodies with some boundaries? Because there's still, I mean, like getting rid of all of the boundaries, right. Isn't healthy either. So it's each individual family finding, finding how to navigate the boundaries. I really do think that some of that thinking started in the depression and it was that generation who they were, it was, they were so afraid of if or when the next meal would come. And so if you got food, you better eat all the food. Well, I was just going to say, that's why it's so important for us to go back and look at our food history and how our relationship with food got established. Because right, any, any trigger isn't about the present. It's a window into the past, right? And the reality is Dave's family member, they're not living in the depression anymore and they're still living out of that trauma. And so that's why yeah. it's so important to have somebody to potentially partner with you to mm-hmm. um, work through those past things that are influencing your current choices with food because mm-hmm. trauma and unprocessed emotions play a, they, they change our relationship with food. This has been so rich and so valuable. Sarah, did you have anything else you wanted to touch on Sarah before we wrap up? Do you want to tell our listeners like how they can connect with you or like follow you on Instagram? Or If people want to connect with me, they can follow me on Instagram and Facebook. My coaching business is called Faithfully Living Fit. Um, and I do take clients on um, situation by situation. If people just want to lose weight, I can connect them with some really great coaches. Um, but if you recognize that, man, you do have 20 plus years of disordered eating and you do feel triggered at the thought of changing what you're eating and you are hopeless and you're unwilling to go on another restrictive diet, then I'd be happy to talk to you and talk about a different way. Cause this is this is a different way of doing things than what most people are doing. If you're like, yes, I'm ready to make some changes. You know, there's like five foundational things that people can start right now building habits around that if you take a, even even if you weren't ready to work with a coach, but you were like, man, I'm ready to make imperfect progress. I'm ready to do a little bit better than I'm doing now. How can, what can I do? And I tell everybody like wellness is built around these five things and they're not necessarily in a hierarchy. It's just these five things, right? So it's most people are going to feel, look, perform their best when they're eating minimally processed whole foods the majority of the time. That's not 
a hundred percent of the time. That's the majority of the time. So it's like 80, 80% of the time. Hydration is key. It's, it's going to be linked to every function in your body and coffee kind of counts because we're moms and I wouldn't take that away from you. Your bodies were created to move ladies. So we need to be moving our bodies. And I'm not going to say go out and do hit, go run. I'm not going to tell you how to move, but God created your body to move. And you're going to find more motivation through movement. In in these last few years of me really studying trauma and different things like that, movement and coming back into our bodies is so, so key for the healing journey. Number four is managing our stress. We can't eliminate stress, but we have to start to learn ways to regulate our central nervous system, create boundaries around work, home environment, you know, relationships, just looking at our, our, uh, our holistic stress load, whether that's physical, emotional, mental, relational, environmental, like looking at all the stress factors in our life and, and evaluating how we're doing at managing that and then prioritizing sleep right? That's when our bodies heal. And so when we're looking at, when we're taking each one of those five things and we're breaking it down into little things. So for example, whole food, you know, let's just take one nutrient at a time. Let's look at protein for a little while. And I'm just going to master my protein intake and make sure that I'm getting really good nourishment from protein. I'm My protein's not deficient anymore because I'm going to feel that in every aspect of my being. And that's where you start one little thing at a time within those five things. So you write those five things down and then you look at all the little things that you could be doing and you pick one at a time and you master that one thing before adding in another thing. And that's how transformation happens is little by little. That's how lasting transformation happens. Yeah, I always say that true transformation is slow and that's so unsexy to say, but it's so true. One thing at a time is such good advice, like not even one area, but like one little thing within the area at a time. And that's such freedom too, because you don't have to change everything all at once, do a massive overhaul of your life and be a completely different person in 21 days or 30 days. But where you can be on a journey, like we are in our spiritual lives, a transformative journey where we're working out our salvation. And this is part of that. This is part of coming into further freedom and relationship with God. So I love everything you said and go follow Robin on Instagram. And if you're feeling the nudge, like, oh man, I would love to have somebody walk beside me and help me do this, which is what I needed. I I needed somebody to walk with me. Robin's just such an excellent coach. So, but I hope this has been like just kind of a an overview of like what it can look like to live more free and what the journey can look like. That kind of comes against the mindsets of the world and even mindsets we are sometimes taught within the church. Um, but we love you guys. Share this episode if it has resonated with you. Share it with your mom friends. And yeah, we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. 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 Liz, your vibe is like, bye. Bye. Uh... 
to get our free heart-centered homeschooling ebook or to book a breakthrough call about homeschooling or business with Sarah, visit the links in the description of this podcast. Also, we always want to hear your questions or ideas for new podcasts, so do please slide into our DMs on Instagram or post in our Facebook group. We would love to hear from you.